It might be a bye week for the Cowboys, but it's not a bye week for international football in Dallas. Delegates from FIFA are in town for site visits as part of our region's bid for the 2026 World Cup. Jorn Buholtz, Executive Director of the National Soccer Hall of Fame in Frisco, joins us to talk about what makes our area the perfect host site and to tell us about his favorite artifact in the hall. Then, SMU Athletic Director Rick Hart stops by to talk SMU football and basketball, how the ponies are impacted by the changing landscape in college athletics, and the many ways in which SMU is supporting our World Cup bid. Finally, Abraham Noodlestayer of Aldea talks about what the World Cup would mean to our area, the true power of sports as a generational memory maker, and we also learned that he's a Squid Game fan. So let's drop the mic and let's go. Welcome to the Mic Drop, everybody. Kevin Sullivan here, joined by Monica Paul, the Executive Director of the Dallas Sports Commission, along with Marcus Carr of Tony Fay PR. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks to Angela Lang for subbing in for me last week. She did an awesome job. Uh, of course, I was off uh, preparing at that point for my daughter Jenny's wedding, which went great. And like everything in Dallas, there was a local sports tie, the groom's cake. Uh, my son-in-law, Q, is a big Dallas Stars fan, and the groom's cake had an entire layer dedicated to the Dallas Stars with another layer dedicated to Star Wars, so that was cool. It's episode 36, you know, as the Dallas Mavericks get underway, no Dallas Maverick has ever worn number 36. Stars haven't had any big ones. The Cowboys, maybe Vince Albritton. So we're going with the Rangers and Gaylord Perry, who wore number 36, the Hall of Famer, the notorious Hall of Famer, Gaylord Perry, always uh, believed to have uh, been thrown the spitball. He pretty much admitted it in his uh, memoir. Four of his 22 years with the Rangers over two different stints. So we're dedicated today to the great Gaylord Perry. Uh, Monica, one thing I would not have done last week that Angela did is she made you relive the Red River Showdown. I'm not going to I'm not, not only am I, wouldn't I have done that? I'm not going to mention what happened against Oklahoma state or that UT has fallen out of the top 25. We're not going there. Uh, I will mention that my Purdue Boilermakers have ended the longest streak in power five football by returning to the top 25 at number 25 after shocking number two, Iowa. We'll see if the boilers can hang in there with Wisconsin uh, coming up this weekend. UT is off. So nothing bad can happen this weekend, Monica, but I'm going to cheer you up with a mic drop moment. Luka Doncic, Maverick star, uh, did a great thing. He surprised 80 kids who are patients at Children's Health in Dallas and Plano with surprise gift bags. Now, of course, the protocols wouldn't allow him to go in person, but he sent all these kids a pair of Jordans and hoodies and a signed photo. I thought it was cool. Pepperoni pizza for those kids who could eat pepperoni pizza with the pepperoni in the shape of the number 77. Uh, so that was cool. But the coolest thing he gave him was a coloring book uh, documenting the adventures of Luca and Bobby. Of course, Boban Marjanovic, uh, the, the, maybe the most fun guy on the Mavericks. And he and Luca apparently have a kid's coloring book telling the story of their friendship. So way to go, Luca. Just another example of athletes in Dallas giving back, right, Monica? 
Yeah, I think that's a, a fantastic story and a much better story to talk about than uh, um, what my Longhorns uh, have been doing here over the last few weeks. But I think it goes to show, uh, just as we talked about on many of the shows of, uh, you know, our our athletes here and, and people who uh, are here within our community giving back and, and what it means. So congrats. Uh, b- big uh, mic drop moment for Luca. We've got SMU still undefeated at 6-0, and ranked 21st. We've got Rick Hart, the SMU uh, Director of Athletics, coming on shortly uh, to talk about that and some other things with the Ponies. They've got 1-5 Tulane uh, uh, here in Dallas this weekend, so let's not overlook that. Uh, no, uh, could be a little bit of a trap game. Uh, we'll get into that with, uh, with uh, Rick Hart shortly. Uh, Stars home opener tonight against the LA Kings. Had a pretty successful two and two road trip to start the season. Uh, and of course the Mavericks also start on the road with their home opener Tuesday against the Houston Rockets. So fired up about that. Monica, I know usually I say what's going on at the Dallas sports commission. I know what's going on and you've got the uh, FIFA dignitaries uh, and leaders coming in for a site visit uh, this weekend uh, in preparation as part of the, the Dallas bid for the 2026 world cup. So tell us what, uh, we're going to get into this as well with uh, Jordan Buholtz of the of the uh, National Soccer Hall of Fame shortly. Tell us about what you have in store for the our visitors from uh, FIFA. Oh, Sully, without a doubt, it is FIFA all time uh, right now, and it has been for a few weeks. Uh, we've got a big crew. Uh, I'm very thankful for our our DFW leadership and sports partners and AT and T Stadium and obviously FC Dallas and and Dan Hunt and his leadership. Uh, and city officials from Dallas, Fort Worth, Arlington, and, and Frisco to have really been leaning in. But we've got 25 different um, delegates coming in from FIFA to U.S. Soccer to CONCACAF uh, as they're here to take a look at uh, our facilities from AT&T Stadium, obviously where the matches would be played. So we've got a, a full day of site visits there uh, where they're going to be taking a look at infrastructure, what the Seating configuration looks like, uh, you know, IT, parking, uh, hospitality uh, areas as well. Uh, we've got a full day worth of International Broadcast Center site visits over at Fair Park. Fair Park was the host in 1994, so really hoping that uh, we can secure that. That is a, uh, a massive, that would be a massive win. Uh, uh, that's over 10,000 media and broadcast representatives that would be here in our market from January through uh, July, August in 2026. Uh, so really accentuating and continuing to put Dallas on a on the international uh, globe uh, from a from a uh, branding and awareness uh, standpoint. Uh, on Saturday, we're gonna actually have lunch over at the National Soccer Hall of Fame. So we'll we'll talk to Jordan a little bit more about that. Uh, they'll be get to tour and have the entire National Soccer Hall of Fame experience. Um, some great artifacts and, and, and trophies that are in that uh, Hall of Fame. So should really be uh, an experience. It's definitely one of the selling points that we're using in our in our bid, uh, you know, to be the home of the National Soccer Hall of Fame. And everyone coming into town in, in 2026 to be able to experience that, I think, is a, is an extra uh, plus and a and a great experience for for those coming in and for for any soccer fan uh we'll follow that up with a reception at uh clyde warren park and then we'll, we'll be doing dinner uh later that evening with the delegates and uh part of the other festivities on sunday is our host city meeting where we're actually going to present here's why you should 
bring the World Cup to Dallas. Here's why we should be considered uh, for a final or a semifinal. Uh, there's an entire group that's going to be going uh, doing training sites. Uh, we're very fortunate for the fields and amenities that we have here in the DFW region. Uh, we have over 11 training sites and base camps that we're proposing. I, I, I'm not 100% sure of this, but uh, I have to think that we're, we're one of the cities that has the most training sites to be able to offer up. So, uh, and, and really, th they, they've all hosted, um, you know, major um, teams that Mexi Mexico, United States, Iceland, uh, Croatia have all practiced on uh, all of these fields. So that's a really plus for us. And then we have another group that's going to be uh, looking at FanFest locations. So we've got three of those proposed. Um, Fair Park for like more of a uh, state fair type of feel uh, and, and watch parties there. Then we've got downtown Fort Worth and Sundance Square and their convention center, uh, which has hosted many uh, great events as well. Uh, uh, get some of the stockyards type of feel for, for that fan fest. And then obviously the Arlington Entertainment District uh, and Texas Live and uh, the uh, just recent uh, announcement uh, last week of their new Arlington Convention Center and their uh, Lowe's Hotel with 888 rooms opening up in Choctaw Stadium. So, uh, great asset. So, uh, it's going to be a whirlwind uh, tour for us, uh, basically a day and a half uh, worth of touring them around our facilities, but uh, I think we're properly placed and uh, excited that this time is here. A lot of people don't realize we've been working on this for, for four years, and obviously COVID has... Uh, uh, delayed uh, these site visits uh, just due to travel and and the pandemic. So we're excited for this opportunity and uh, really excited to hopefully in Q1 or Q2 in 2022 to be named a host city. You know, you mentioned obviously we have the great facilities you mentioned and so many other amenities, but the secret sauce in Dallas, as we've talked about, you know, throughout the show, is is our people, right? Yep. I mean, whether it's whether it's Jorn or the support of of Charlotte Jones and the Cowboys, or you know, seeing the philanthropy of the of our international athletes locally, the great soccer tradition in Dallas, we're, you know, hopefully the, the the visitors, the dignitaries from FIFA and the, and the other groups, will get a feel for the the people that we have here as well, because that would be a big part of the success of of a World Cup in Dallas. Oh, I I agree with you, Sully. There, I. For the reception, I th we've uh, cast a wide net uh, to make sure that uh, FIFA has the opportunity to hear from many segments within our, our community, from uh, you know state and city-wide leadership to the soccer community to uh, arts district, arts and culture, um, uh, our corporate base, um, a, a wide net, our, our media representatives as well. Uh, so we want FIFA to leave here and know that, you know what, it's it's more than a handful of people that are working on this bid. It's uh, our entire community that is really passionate about this and can, can bring this home. And one of the things that I, I probably should have mentioned, which is a, you know, a big part of why we want the World Cup is, yes, it has that international feel and appeal and worldwide reach. It has the economic impact that uh, you know these major events uh, bring to the city and, and, and that boost in the economy, but it's also the legacy that we're able to leave um, behind through the World Cup, uh, leading up to it as well as after. And uh, so we're working with the U.S. Soccer Foundation in uh, in order to be able to leave or create fields uh, in, in different areas that are in need. Uh, we've got a lot of youth that want to you know participate. They may not have the 
the funds uh, to be able to do that. There might not be a field uh, uh, available to them in their in their community, in their neighborhood. Uh, they may not have the equipment, so and they may not have coaches uh, to, to be able to do that. So we're trying to tackle all of that as part of our legacy program. Um, and then, I mean, I could speak uh, on human rights uh, issues for, for a while as well, because that's a big part of it. And there are a lot of legacy initiatives um, uh, incorporated into that plan as well. Well, you know, uh, Monica, Mike Drop Nation is pulling for you this weekend. All the best with the with the site visits. And uh, I know you're going to do well because you're great at this. And Dallas has so much to offer and your leadership here has been key. So, so, uh, so let's go Dallas sports commission and good luck this, this weekend. Uh, we're back in a moment to, to talk soccer with Jordan Buholtz of the, of the uh, national soccer hall of fame. But first over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. All right, Sally, what are you doing this weekend? Because I'm going to the Dallas zoo. The Dallas zoo provides guests with real life opportunities to make memorable connections with its more than two thousand animals please support the zoo's mission to inspire and empower action on behalf of the wildlife in texas and around the world visit dallaszoo.com today to purchase your tickets thanks rach and now we're pleased to be joined by jordan buholtz executive director of the national soccer hall of fame the uh, hall of fame was founded way back in 1950 but since 2018 it's been located on the south end of toyota stadium in Frisco, of course, the home of FC Dallas. Jordan came on board in 2017 prior to its opening. He has 20 years uh, or more of experience in leadership roles on the business side of soccer. Bjorn, thanks for joining us on the mic drop. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me, Kevin. Happy to be here. Oh, this is my lifesaver right here. This uh, guy, <laughs> I, before I get into uh, questions, I have to I have to publicly thank him for uh, all of his help and what he he's doing for me for this uh, FIFA site visit and uh, the reception and uh, stadium tours and, and all of that. So, uh, Jorn, thank you um, on behalf of uh, the Dallas Sports Commission and everything we have going on this weekend. Anytime, Monica. I'm happy to help. <laughs> this is this is a passion play for me as well. I mean, I am excited about the World Cup, excited about it potentially coming here and anything I can do to help you and the community secure those matches, uh, I'm here for. Perfect, perfect. So, um <clears throat> Jordan, give us a little, uh, uh, our listeners, an idea of how exactly did we secure this National Soccer Hall of Fame, especially since it had been up uh, in the north uh, since since 1950. How did that come about? You know, I, I give tours quite a bit, you know, to people that come through the Hall of Fame, and I'll ask them, hey, you know, did you know there used to be a Hall of Fame? And they said, well, maybe I'd heard about it. And I said, well, do you know where it was? And they just give me a, a blank look, you know, and I'm like, well, it was in Oneonta, New York. Uh, and it sounds like a big problem if you don't know where the National Soccer Hall of Fame was. Very few other people did. Uh, and unfortunately, just weren't getting the kind of foot traffic that they needed. So they actually closed their doors in 2010, packed up everything that was in there and put it in a warehouse in North Carolina where everything just kind of sat. And it was about, uh, you know, five or six years ago uh, that the Hunt family, uh, you know, just that just didn't sit well with them. So they started talking to U.S. soccer. Uh, about how do we bring a brick and mortar Hall of Fame back and through some great public private partnerships with the city of Frisco, Frisco Independent School District and US soccer uh, and the Hunt family and, and FC Dallas everybody kind of came together. This building Toyota Stadium was looking for an upgrade, uh, you know, it had been around since 2005, uh, you know, one of the one of the oldest stadiums in Major League Soccer so they said well, not, what, let's all put this all together uh, and improve the stadium and what ended up happening was 
a $55 million project to renovate the south end of Toyota Stadium. I think that $55 million is about twice of what the stadium costs originally uh, in 2005, uh, just for a renovation, but uh, brought an amazing Hall of Fame, uh, you know, here to the south end of the stadium and it really a, a premium experience for those individuals that come to the matches. So it was just a, it was a perfect culmination of all of the right people getting in the right room and and bringing, bringing back together a, uh, a Hall of Fame for, for us to celebrate those that have given the greatest contribution to the game in this country. Yeah, I think we have to spread the word here, even, even locally, that, uh, you know, it is such an experience out there and uh, the, the amount of stuff and uh, it's such, so unique uh, of an experience there and what y'all have done with uh, uh, NEC and, and other, you know, technology that you have in there. It's, uh, it's an experience, and I think that uh, – our local community needs to needs to know about it and head out there as well. Uh, and obviously, our, our guests that are hopefully coming in for for the World Cup. So I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, uh, Jorn, in terms of World Cup. You know, um, you've been in the soccer business you know, 20 plus years. So, um, what what would it mean to you, I guess, uh, for the World Cup to to be here in 2026? And you know, why? Do you, what do you think our top a- assets are, and why we should be hosting? Yeah, I mean, I, I, Dallas is, to me, it's just a perfect culmination. I think it's got so much going for it. I think location is key, right? It's why they had the International Broadcast Center here in 1994. It's easy to get anywhere in the country. Um, just the rich history. You know, when you think about, you know, Lamar Hunt and starting the Dallas Tornado 50 plus years ago and what that brought to the community and then how, you know, really Dan and Clark have carried on that tradition with FC Dallas. I mean, we're such a sports market, right? And I, I think we're so primed to have such a gigantic international event here to even kickstart the sport here even more. I mean, if we've got a, if we've got a five-year run up to the world cup, I could, I, I just get excited about what that does for soccer in Dallas, uh, the excitement around it, soccer in this country in general, selfishly for the hall of fame, right? I just think about the things that we can do inside of here to get ready for that tournament. Uh, so, you know, Monica, I wouldn't say you put me on the spot. I think Dallas is the perfect location to host as many of these games as we can. And idea, ideally, I think it's a perfect place to host a World Cup final. Uh, you've got an amazing stadium, an AT&T stadium, uh, you know, that we've talked about. I've had the pleasure of working several soccer events there, most recently just the Gold Cup, you know, this past summer. And it's it's a showcase and people walk into that place and go, wow. And I think, I think that's, that's a venue that we want to show to the world. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And you, you hit on one of my next uh, questions in terms of, you know, you've been in the soccer business 20 plus years. Uh, you're the executive director of the national soccer hall of fame, but you also have time to work these CONCACAF gold cup matches this, this summer, give our listeners an idea of, you know, what does that entail uh, as well? And I'm, I know this wasn't the first one that you've worked. You've also been, I think, venue manager for many, many before. Yeah, I've had the pleasure, you know, and the Hunt family and U.S. soccer have been nice enough to, uh, you know, let me go and do these little ventures, you know, in the summer when when Gold Cups come around every two years. But I've been lucky enough to be a venue manager for the Gold Cup uh, for the last three years, uh, 27 or for the last three sessions, uh, 2017 at the Alamo Dome. Uh, 2019 at NRG Stadium. Uh, And then, you know, my most challenging one to date uh, was two different venues, you know, within Dallas, uh, basically five games over four different days between the Cotton Bowl and AT&T Stadium. And really, 
you know, I get hired for those to come in and basically be the point person on the ground uh, for the entire event in, in the community, you know, training sites, the, the matches themselves, and then CONCACAF comes flying in, you know, a few, you know, a week before the game. And uh, we're all there to put on, you know, a pretty incredible event. It's, it, I, I love my job at the Hall of Fame. I love, love doing those tournaments, you know, um, it's just, it's such a rush. Uh, it's so much work in the months building up to it, but there's nothing better than having the privilege of sitting at that a fourth officials table with the match commissioner when those teams come walking out right in front of you with a crowd blaring. Uh, it's, it's, I, I can't even put it into words, you know, so to be able to, to see that in, in action for World Cup, uh, you know, in 2026 in our home soil would be pretty amazing. Gordon, I know at the, out at the, at the hall, you emphasize uh, really delivering a spectacular visitor experience. So for our listeners who haven't made it out yet, tell us what, what is that experience like when you go through the, the National Soccer Hall of Fame? Well, I, I love the fact that you keep using the word experience. All right. Because, you know, my first day when I walked into this, this building uh, in June, they had in the entire South end of the stadium where I called it what was the hall of fame because it was just a giant hole in the south end of the stadium where they ripped out all the seats but below it along the signboards it said home future home of the national soccer hall of fame museum and i would just sit there and look at that and go god is that is that what we want to be nothing against museums but i wanted to be something even bigger and better uh you know so we actually ended up pulling that thing down uh and have renamed ourselves uh the national soccer hall of fame experience but it's one thing just to call it an experience, right? It's another thing to actually back it up. Uh, you know, we're lucky enough, we've got over 400 artifacts inside of this amazing building that tell the history of the game in this country, but uh, we partner with some pretty amazing people as well when it comes to NEC, uh, who has provided facial recognition inside of the building for us. And really the first time uh, in a space like ours where that has been used for uh, you know, customer experience. Most of the time, facial recognition, safety, security, that's how we use it, right? Uh, but NEC and I saw an opportunity uh, to actually be able to give back to people and create a personalized experience. So, you know, we ask people when they come in, we've got registration stations. We ask them if we can take their photo. We ask them a little bit about themselves, uh, what their favorite soccer teams are, where they're from, uh, their favorite soccer position and kind of their fan level. Am I new to the game? Am I a super fan? And then based on that, there are then 13 audiovisual experiences inside that recognize you when you walk up. Uh, and then when you touch on your face on the screen, gives you information we think is going to be most relevant or interesting to you based on the information you gave us in the lobby. So uh, at the end of the day, no two people will have the same experience inside of here, which is why we're calling ourselves the most personalized experience in sports until somebody figures out how to do it better. That, that is incredible. A customized experience for everybody. Yep, it is. Uh, uh, you recently inducted the, you had a catch up from COVID and you inducted the 2020 and 2021 classes. You used to have four, a maximum of four a year. We actually had a discussion with this about related to the pro football hall of fame, limiting the, to, you know, the numbers that are allowed in every year at five, I believe. So you've announced beginning next year, six is the maximum number. Why did you, why did you bump it up? Yeah, we actually, we, we did a deep dive on the process. You know, once we got the building up, that was priority number one. And then uh, we've, I've been following it for years. It, it seemed like the Hall of Fame induction process had been a little bit broken. Um, we 
when I say that, you know, we had a max of four and then a max of six this year, prior to our voting last year, we never had an issue with that because we weren't even getting to enough people getting to the threshold. I mean, you look in 2019, we had a class of two. Uh, in 2020, we had a class of one. So there was an issue there. So we took a deep dive over the course of the last really two years, uh, almost three years, and, and changed the procedures uh, and the voting and reduced our number of voters, um, you know, reduced the list by having screening committees and real actual conversations about our individuals. Uh, and we went through that as we headed into the 2021 class. And the product of that was a max of four people. We got to our four going in. But one of the things we didn't think or didn't recognize that might happen was through the new process, the cream of the crop really rose to the top, you know, throughout our, our three categories, player, veteran, and builder. We had ties at the top. So we had to go to tiebreakers in two of the categories. And it just kind of, it kind of blew our mind a little bit. And we sat back and said, okay, I think we fixed the situation. Uh, but now we've got an opportunity where, you know what, if there is a second veteran on the ballot that gets above three fourths of the votes, they need to go in. And on the player side, if there's a third player that also gets above three fourths of the votes, they need to go in because we don't want to be leaving those people out and their opportunity to go in. So it's been a fluid process for us. We feel like it's in a really good spot, but that was one key change. Uh, we felt after watching the results come in from the 2021 class that we needed to make before we go into 2022. And then I think the process is going to be in a really, really great spot moving forward to do what is our mission of honoring those that have given the greatest contribution to the game in this country. And I think we're, we're taking steps towards fulfilling that. And we'll have to have you come back next spring and talk about the May of 2022 induction. You've got some big names that are eligible, starting with Clint Dempsey, uh, who I would have to believe would be a, would be a lock, but also Robbie Keane, Brad Evans, Yael Averbush, uh, some big names, and the Zach Brown band not being inducted into the hall, but again, it's part of that experience that you're delivering. And I think Monica had some great product placement in Zach Brown video <laughs> that you played. You know, instead he's wearing a WrestleMania T-shirt, yeah. uh, which is uh, another project that Monica's working on. But what do you have in store for for? Uh, for Hall of Fame induction next next May. Yeah, we try to make it an event, you know, not just an induction ceremony. I think that's the benefit of actually having a brick and mortar place now. I mean, I when I was working at Sporting Kansas City, I attended the 2013 induction ceremony out in the plaza of uh, Sporting Kansas City Stadium. And it was just, it was, a, it was an hour event. That was it. There was a stage and on we went, you know, and there was a U.S. men's national team game. But now that we've got a brick and mortar place and a beautiful place to do these. And we're trying to create an entire event all the way from the Friday evening, all the way through Sunday. So this year, you know, Friday evening, uh, there will be some events, some parties, things like that. Saturday, uh, we'll do an induction luncheon for our 2022 class. Uh, and we follow it that evening with Zach Brown, full stadium concert. Tickets are on sale at nationalsoccerhof.com. Got to get that plug in there. Uh, and then the following day, you know, we'll, we'll do an FC Dallas match. So really trying to trying to make it an entire event because we want to get to the point, you know, when you think about the Pro Football Hall of Fame, they've done such a great job of having the Hall of Fame game and, you know, the induction ceremony and everybody comes back for this. And that's really what we're trying to build up is create an event that people, uh, you know, want to come back and, and really be a part of. Well, I have to say that y'all do it first class. Uh, um, every uh, Hall of Fame weekend has been first class because uh, I've been to all of them but 
Gorn, before we let you go, uh, we want to know what is your favorite artifact there in the National Soccer Hall of Fame? I mean, you have over 400 of them, so this one might be a tough question. It uh, normally, well, so two things. I mean, it's amazing that we have all four women's World Cups here. That still blows my mind every day that this is where they live, and they are literally about 30 feet behind me on the other side of the wall. So that's always incredible. But there is a piece in here that I love that was actually one of the last editions we finally got our hands on before we opened the building. And that is Tony DeChico, uh, the head coach of the 1999 women's world cup team uh, passed away, you know, a few years ago, but his family uh, had reproductions of the flip charts from the locker room for the speech that he gave the team before that final. Uh, and they are incredible. And when you think about it, that's a lost art. Right, you no longer see flip charts in. You see a whiteboard that somebody comes in right after a game and just wipes clean, and there it went. You know, so uh, we've got his two pages of flip charts in here. It's absolutely incredible. And there's one point in that game uh, where Christine Lilly saves a shot off the line from a corner kick um, header off the line to actually preserve the game. And you go and look at those flip charts and there's a little picture of the goal where everybody's supposed to be defensively on corner kicks. And there's a KL in the corner of that goal, uh, Christine Lilly. And it just like, I just got goosebumps again, right? Because it's just incredible. If you, if you see that game and you look at that game and then go and look at that flip chart. I mean, it's got his list of penalty kickers in there, right? That was pregame. Uh, and it's the order, you know, that they're in. It's just, there's so much inside baseball as people like to call them, I call it inside soccer on those two pieces of paper that just you look at that game and it, you just it's it, it, it's mind-blowing to me so that's something I encourage people to come in and see because like I said it's it's a lost art it's like our Raiders of the Lost Ark thing you know that uh that nobody will be able to replicate again it's it's amazing well Jorn thank you for uh joining us everyone national soccer hof.com and Jorn, I will be seeing you here uh, the rest of the weekend. I get to spend my whole weekend with you, Monica. I'm excited. Perfect. I can't wait. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. And now over to Rachel for, more, for a word from our sponsors. Okay, Sully, it's really my favorite new event here in Dallas. Join the Perot Museum of Nature and Science every Thursday for Thursdays on Tap. Experience a museum after hours with a 21-plus crowd, and you'll enjoy live music, drinks, and food trucks. Plus, you get full access to exhibits all night long. It's the perfect date night. Visit perromuseum.org for more information. Thanks, Rachel. Now we're really pleased to be joined by Rick Hart, the SMU Director of Athletics. Been in that role since 2012. During his tenure, the Mustangs have excelled both on the fields of play and in the classroom as well, which is important. The facilities uh, on the hilltop have been upgraded and expanded. So way to go, Rick. He came to SMU from uh, after a stint at Tennessee Chattanooga. He worked at Oklahoma and at his alma mater, uh, University of North Carolina. Rick, welcome to the mic drop. Yeah, thanks, Sully. Appreciate it. Uh, glad to be here and hope you're well. I'm doing all right. Thank you. And I want to begin by saying uh, last weekend I was driving east on, on, uh, on I-30, or maybe it was uh, when it becomes 80, uh, and I see... Pony up mesquite with the image of Reggie Robertson and a teammate, uh, you know, with this campaign that you have, which I think is so smart to not, not just a, a, around 
uh, you know, around this, the campus, but all around North Texas to, to help people understand that SMU is our local, you know, big time, no offense to UNT, big time college football uh, program. Talk a little bit about the origin of that campaign and, and how you see it working. Absolutely. Well, yeah, SMU is the only FBS program in Dallas. And so we are Dallas's team. We're Dallas's university. And we're proud of that. And, you know, it's been a progression and evolution to get to where we are today. Really started that campaign a while ago. But um, the latest, as you mentioned, uh, that we that we added uh, a couple few years ago is the born and raised element and some of the visual billboards in the hometowns of our student athletes. And it's been really fun, first of all, as you said, to have that visibility in the city of Dallas, but also for the young men and their families in the sport of football uh, to, to have that in their hometown and the prod it brings, and then how that resonates with the community and inspires other young men and women uh, to, to pursue an education and an athletics experience at SMU. The mayor of Dallas, Eric Johnson, has been a tremendous supporter and has really helped to strengthen our connection to the city. Uh, and then, you know, the benefactors who helped to underwrite uh, those billboards and some of the marketing campaign. Of course, the co-branding with the Triple D uh, and the script Dallas. So we are Dallas' team. We're proud of that. And, and we want everybody to know it. Now, of course, Reggie played at, at uh, Mesquite Horn. So having him on that Mesquite uh, you know, billboard was, was smart and obviously made sense. Uh, I don't think, you know, you had to pay Reggie for that, but with name, image, and likeness rules now, uh, wh what is the status of, of that in, and, and not just your football program, but for, for all the student athletes at SME, what have you seen so far in that name, image, likeness, uh, uh, new landscape that we're all, all experiencing? Yeah, great question. You know, we're about 75 days into the name, image, and likeness experience, maybe a little more than that. But point being, it's still very young, and there's still a lot that we're all learning. Uh, here in the state of Texas, we have a state law, and so our compliance officers, who really are the, uh, the, the point people for NIL, uh, they have a, a group chat with all of the the state compliance officers so that we can kind of compare notes on what we're doing. We're, we're proud that a number of our student athletes across all of our sports are participating in name, image, and likeness and are benefiting from that change. But again, it continues to evolve. Uh, you know, you mentioned the billboard. Uh, that's a good example. We think that being in Dallas, Texas will create a tremendous advantage for our student athletes in the name, image, and likeness space, as it, particularly as it grows. And it's complementary to a lot of the things that we're able to do as we work with our corporate partners, our licensees, uh, as we work with individuals who are mentors and who help prepare our student athletes for internships and careers. And, you know, for, for Reggie, I'll use Reggie as an example since you started with that, to have his image in Dallas, Texas, obviously is a big deal and will help him as he builds his own personal brand and then looks to leverage that, not just during his time as a student athlete at SMU, but post-career uh, at SMU and post-education at SMU as he continues to leverage his brand moving forward. So we think it's a tremendous advantage to be in Dallas. 
our student athletes are already benefiting from it. And we think that will just continue to grow as we learn more and, and we, and this, uh, this whole landscape matures. Of course, the other big tectonic uh, shift happening is the domino effect from Texas and OU heading to the SEC. We see there's going to be an impact on the American Athletic Conference. When this shakes out and the dust settles, how, how will SMU uh, be affected by all of these uh, changes? Well, it's hard to predict exactly all the effect because the OU Texas departure and then some of the changes that have already occurred in the landscape, I think are the beginning. Uh, there, there are a lot of other things. Again, the maturation of NIL that we just talked about, um, the Alston case and, and ruling and how that gets interpreted and implemented across the landscape. Uh, you know, the NCAA is going through a reconstitution process that could redefine, you know, what division one athletics looks like and how it's tiered. Um, and then conference realignment, I believe, will continue to occur over the next three to five years. And so uh, there's going to be a lot of change. I don't know that anyone can predict exactly what this will look like eventually. And, and again, how the impact will um, be, what the impact will be on SMU. However, uh, our goal and our vision doesn't change. And that is to be the best program in all respects in our conference, to be a model program to compete for and capture championships and to compete nationally. So whatever that group of institutions is, you know, our vision is to, to be at the top of it. And we've, we've got to continue to invest in our people, our coaches. We've got to continue to invest in our facilities in the student athlete experience. And again, when you combine that with the quality of our institution, our location in Dallas, Texas, the fertile recruiting base, uh, the strength of our alumni, again, we, we have a vision and, and a goal and a, and a belief that we will continue to compete at the highest level of college athletics, whatever that is. One of the most consequential decisions or jobs of any AD is the hiring of coaches. Clearly with Sonny Dykes, you got that one right. Uh, what was it? You know, he had been at Cal, you know, he had a couple of head coaching experiences. What was it that you saw in him that knew he was going to do this well? This is two-parter, Rick. And how the heck are you going to keep him given the, the incredible success that he's had uh, at SMU? Well, any hire, particularly in the leadership position, as you know, Sully is an inexact science. I mean, you, first of all, it's, it's usually a, a pretty quick process. Um, and, and again, you never know. There's so many factors. Just because someone's been successful somewhere else or, uh, or struggled somewhere else, whatever the case may be, doesn't necessarily translate and transfer to the next opportunity. And so, you, first of all, you do a lot of research before you get to that point, and you do your best to, to really get to know the essence of, of an individual because, again, these are tough jobs. There's a lot of pressure. And what you're really trying to determine in part is, is the individual going to be aligned with our goals and values even when the going gets tough, even in those moments of adversity where, you know, for some, there, there might be a temptation to cut a corner or there might be a temptation to, to sacrifice your values or to compromise. And, you, you, you know, you just want someone who's going to stay the course and who's going to do it the right way and, um, 
and have a great sense of purpose as they go about it, be a great representative of the institution and, and build the program and develop the young men and women uh, that, that we are serving, the sons and the daughters that we've been entrusted with. And then, and then again, you, then we do our part to facilitate that, you know, to support, in this case, Sonny, um, to, to identify with him the priorities he has for his program, and then to either allocate the resources or go try to acquire the resources that are necessary to follow through with that. He's done a tremendous job building a, a talented staff um, and, and being aligned with all the things I mentioned. He's got a great family. He's a great cultural fit here at SMU. And, um, you know, we're enjoying a, some success that we haven't had in decades on the football field. And I think that will continue. The second part of your question, you know, is those are the problems we want to be working with and, and have in terms of how do we keep someone who now may be attractive to others and, and may have other opportunities. And really, that's not just something we do or think about or invest in, in in a particular moment in time. I think our goal, again, is from the moment Sonny and his family arrived in Dallas and at SMU uh, until hopefully a long time that he's here, you know, as we, again, we treat him, we try to treat him well, make sure he feels valued, make sure he understands our ongoing investments in him and his family and the program, um, be responsive to his priorities, uh, be a partner to help facilitate that success and really try to make it uh, a great situation, a great place to work and a place where we can be successful with the, the types of student athletes that we both think um, we, we should have and can have here at SMU. And then, you know, you hope that you do that consistently over time, that that wins the day. Uh, we know that where we sit in the landscape we're not always going to be, whether it's Sonny or, or someone else on our staff, we may not always be able to provide the highest level of compensation. But again, we think we can do other things and, and have other differentiating factors uh, that can set us apart to create uh, an unmatched quality of life that will be valuable uh, when those other opportunities come about. So. Rick, you uh, mentioned earlier about investing in facilities, and uh, SMU is definitely, you've done your part there in terms of your, your swimming and diving, as well as tennis facility. And with uh, our FIFA World Cup visits this weekend, one one additional renovation that you have uh, going on is of particular interest to me with the Washburn uh, Soccer and Track Stadium. Uh, what's kind of the, the plan there and, uh, how is that going to kind of evolve and help your, your both men's and women's soccer programs? Yeah. Thanks, Monica. Good to be with you. Yeah. We're, we're really excited. You know, you mentioned we've kind of tackled, you know, basketball and golf and tennis, and I could go down the list of the facilities in the last even decade, um, that are at a championship quality. You mentioned swimming and diving. But, you know, men's and women's soccer, we're, we're nationally ranked at both programs on a consistent basis. Um, and we, they really didn't have a home that reflected that. So we're grateful to Ray and Heather Washburn and the other donors uh, who have stepped forward so that we can now have a championship caliber soccer and track facility, Washburn Stadium. And, uh, you know, I was at the women's game last night and, you know, the structure is now up. You can see it's it's framed 
Um, you could you could really get a sense now for really what it's going to be. And it's going to be a tremendous asset, you know, not just to SMU but the community. And you know, we we want to partner and continue to partner with Dallas. You know, we have a great partnership at Trinity Forest. Uh, we have a great partnership that we announced recently, as you know, Monica, uh, with the Dallas Open. And we want to continue to identify opportunities to bring national events to Dallas and to SMU across a number of sports uh, to benefit our community. And we think now Washington Stadium will allow us to help facilitate some of that in the sport of soccer. Yeah, we're, we're definitely uh, posing SMU in, the, in that Washburn Stadium as uh, hopefully a base camp for a World Cup, a World Cup team. Uh, obviously, the, your other facilities in terms of dorms and, uh, um, and, and training facilities there are, are peak interest. So we think uh, over this weekend that FIFA will be thinking the, the same thing. And you, you mentioned the Dallas Open. We couldn't be more excited to uh, be partnering with uh you on that one. I think uh, it's been a long time coming that we've we've wanted a, a major uh, tennis uh, event here in the Dallas area and uh, very excited that they, they chose uh, SMU. And I, I think our our community is is very excited about it as well. Uh, I know I've received a lot of uh, feedback there. Uh, and by all means, well, I think we're, we're excited about your your facilities and renovations and, and improvements and other plans you may have because like you said, we're, we're very interested in bringing those, whether it's NCAA or national level events. Um, and Rick, you may not be able to answer this, but uh, um, any additional renovation plans uh, in the future or other developments you would like to, to have long term? Absolutely. You know, if uh, we, we, in our vocation and, and in our industry, you know, if you're not expanding and growing and investing in facilities you're falling behind and again we've done a tremendous job i have to credit our donors for making um, the improvements possible you know those are all privately funded we have a tremendously generous and supportive alumni base and um, you know that really is a, a a differentiator for us it's a competitive advantage that we have over many of our peers and so you know, next up, we opened um, the Indoor Performance Center in Armstrong Fieldhouse uh, several years ago, which is, you know, primarily used for football, but again, benefits a number of our other sports in the community at large in, in various ways. But, you know, the next project will be a football project. Uh, we, we are very proud of Ford Stadium. It still serves our needs and the needs of the community very well. Uh, but it, it's, you know, it celebrated its 20th year last year, last season. And uh, we need to expand and modernize Ford Stadium, as well as the Lloyd All Sports Center, which has served the needs of most of our sports for two decades. Um, but, you know, we, the, the space has evolved and grown and we've, uh, we're in need of additional uh, space. And so we will build a football operations center along with that stadium, Ford Stadium expansion. And we're, we're completing uh, design right now. And then as part of the university's recently announced um, $1.5 billion campaign, uh, obviously athletics is a part of that. We will then begin to uh, move forward and approach donors about funding that project um, very soon. Rick, I'm a a SMU graduate student in the MSSM program. So 
a lot of a lot of hype around the sports, um, all the sports right now. Men's and women's basketball starts here in a couple of weeks. What do you expect from both programs this year? Yeah, great, Marcus. That's awesome. We, you know, I'll tell you the student support enthusiasm has just been off the charts so far this fall. You know, I think probably some of that is because we, in many ways, lost a year last year. Um, but it's been tremendous, and I can't tell you how important it is. You know, that everybody else kind of takes their cues in terms of the energy and the excitement from our student body. Uh, and I expect that will carry over to men's and women's basketball. Really excited about uh, getting Moody jumping again. Uh, on the women's side, we've got a new head coach and, and staff and Toyo Wilson. I was talking to coach this morning, uh, and she is incredibly excited about the progress that the returners have made, as well as uh, the new student athletes who have been brought in either through recruiting or the transfer portal. Um, you know, I expect that we'll be more competitive and, and, um, and she'll have a great first year. And then on the men's side, you know, it's just a different time with, again, the portal and the way some of that has evolved. I think it's been well documented that being in Dallas, Texas, we feel we're a beneficiary of that. Uh, there are oftentimes a student athlete may feel they want to kind of go away for a period of time and then they want to come back home. And so, again, just like the women between the uh, freshmen who have arrived on the hilltop and some of the transfers that we've added along with the returners. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that we've had that much talent on the men's side since I've been here. This is my 10th year. So I think we're very excited about the opportunity to compete for a championship and, and see how far we can take it in the NCAA tournament. So really excited and fans uh, create that home court advantage and we need them and look forward to getting back to uh, Moody Madness. Rick, I'm going to have to reach out to your, your new women's basketball coach. We definitely want her to be involved with our uh, NCAA Women's Final Four planning for, for 2023. We've got the Division One, Two, II, and Three championships that year, and we'll be uh, celebrating uh, 50 years of Title IX, so uh, I'll, I'll be reaching out for that. But before we let you go, you've got an interesting uh, career journey, your third-generation um, you know, athletic director, and I'm – uh, teach at SMU as well, a class, not this semester. I'd take off to, to do my FIFA responsibilities and World Cup bid stuff. But um, I always try to leave them with some nuggets in terms of, you know, what advice, or they're always asking, what, what advice uh, would you give uh, students or what can they do to, um, you know, if they want to work in sports? So I kind of pose that question to you. Absolutely. You know, my, the short answer is just get involved. Um, whatever that means, because again, I know students have incredibly busy and hectic schedules, um, but get involved for two reasons. Number one, you know, you really want to make sure you, you identify and confirm that, that you understand the purpose and you have a passion for it. You know, I think sometimes a career in sports and entertainment can be misinterpreted because a lot of times, uh, at least outward facing, you know, what's visible are the the kind of fun things, if you will, uh, that come along with it. Uh, but like, like any vocation or job or career, you know, there are moments of adversity and challenge. And, and you, so you've got to really understand the purpose behind it and, and be willing to sacrifice for it uh, to be successful. So I think it would help uh, your students to, to really identify whether or not this is something that they truly want to devote you know, their life to. And then secondly, 
uh, it's a competitive marketplace and it gives them some exposure to the decision makers, uh, a point of differentiation uh, to, to demonstrate their commitment, their work ethic, uh, their character, uh, so that when that opportunity comes, whether it's for an interview or a recommendation, that there's, uh, they have some people they can reach out to who are credible, who can kind of speak on their behalf or, or who can say, this is somebody that we can see in that role because at least we know them at some level and that will likely give them an advantage over others that maybe haven't taken that step. Rick, thanks for joining us here on the mic drop. It's been an interesting conversation, lots happening. And also, by the way, speaking of men's hoops, we will keep an eye on Ferran Hunt playing for the Texas Legends, the Mavericks G League team up in Frisco. That was a, that was a, nice to see him do so well in the summer league and to get that opportunity, uh, you know, with with, uh, with the Mavericks G League team. So, uh, all the best in your continued for continued success in your work. And uh, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, well, thank you. And don't forget, Sterling Brown's a Mav now, so he's local and he, and he's a That's Mustang. Right. And I look forward, you know, we didn't talk a lot about soccer. We touched on it, but Christine Lilly came up in, in a previous interview you were doing. She was a classmate of mine at North Carolina, as was Bea Ham and others. So um, really excited about the opportunity to bring some, some high-level soccer to Dallas. Look forward to partnering with you. You guys take care, and thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. And I know Monica is deeply grateful for your support of the World Cup bid and all those dignitaries that are coming in this weekend. So thanks to uh, Rick Hart, SMU Athletic Director, and over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. Dallas is known for its big wins when it comes to sporting events. Whether it be Final Fours, Winter Classics, Pro Drafts, or even international soccer matches, Dallas sets the standard. And now it's time for our biggest win yet. We want the 2026 World Cup. The Dallas Sports Commission is working hard to bring the World Cup back to our great city, and we need your help. Head over to DallasWorldCup2026.com to sign the pledge to bring it back. Be sure to follow us on all social media at World Cup Dallas to stay up to date on all things 2026 World Cup. Thanks, Rach. And now we welcome to the mic drop Abraham Noodlestair, reporter and content producer for El Dia, the morning news Spanish language publication. Uh, Abraham has worked for MLB.com and many prominent Spanish language publications, including uh, a stint as sports editor for La Opinion in Los Angeles, which is a big, a big deal. Uh, Abraham, welcome to the uh, mic drop. Good morning, Kevin. Thank you for having me. You, you recently uh, wrote a story about Ricardo Pepe. We're all fascinated by Ricardo. Tell us how you found him to be, you know, what was he like? What are his prospects? How good could this young man be? Ricardo uh, Pepe is a very humble young kid still <laughs> when i talked to him uh he was only 17 when i did the feature for the newspaper he <clears throat> wasn't even uh playing you know full time with the uh, fc dallas nor the uh, national uh, team and uh, but at that time i i noticed that he's uh, very humble he cares a lot about his roots his, his uh, parents are from Mexico and uh, all the hard work he has to do coming from a small town in El Paso uh, and now where we uh, got to see him having this kind of success, uh, it's an amazing story to be told and 
I'm very, very uh, happy for him because I know that in the near future, he's going to leave Dallas. He's going to leave the FC Dallas because Europe is where he belongs. And most probably we, he will be leaving uh, in January to join a, a, a club in Europe, yeah. So Abraham, big weekend for us with uh, FIFA delegates in town and uh, us pitching our, our World Cup uh, opportunities for 2026. Um, what, what do you think uh, our chances are? And uh, do you think uh, we would make a good host for 2026? I'm very excited about this coming weekend because for me, this is the countdown to World Cup 2026. Mm -hmm. This is a really countdown because I will be surprised, shockingly surprised, if we don't get, if Dallas is not choose as a, a host, a city to host the, the World Cup. We have everything that FIFA might be looking for. Uh, so we have the fan base, we have the stadiums, we have uh, the uh, public transportation. Everything is in place for Dallas to be a great uh, host city for the World Cup. So I, to me, this is, uh, the Countdown Torch uh, World Cup 2026, and I'm sure uh, Dallas will be one of the cities that will host that uh, great event. Well, not to put too much pressure on 19-year-old uh, Ricardo Pepe, but now that we know he is committed to play uh, for the U.S. national team in international competition, it would be exciting for a 24-year-old Ricardo Pepe to, to uh, play in the World Cup in in, uh, in Dallas. You know what? I was thinking the same thing. How great would it be to see Ricardo Pepe playing for the national team at at t Stadium in World Cup 2026? I was thinking exactly the same thing. That will be uh, the greatest story probably in, in, in sports uh, history or one of the greatest sports uh, stories in, in, in Dallas, in North Texas. That will be the greatest. So I, I look forward to that, yeah. Well, I hope you're right. So, Abraham, this is the portion of the podcast where we ask our guests, what are you downloading? What are you streaming? It could be music, podcast, uh, book, movie, TV. What, what recommendation do you have for our listeners? Well, I've been streaming uh, as everybody else in the world, Squid Game. <laughs> the Squid Game okay. is a, a very intense series. Uh, but if you want to go and relax a little bit and have fun, uh, I, I like to, to watch uh, Ted Lasso, the okay. soccer-related soccer series, uh, and those are, those, those are two of the uh, series that I am watching right now. Yeah, we've, we've had a number of Ted Lasso recommendations. I finally did get on board and watched it, and, and, I, uh, and, and I loved it, all except that wacky Coach Beard uh, episode <laughs> at the, kind of toward the end. Monica, I imagine that you are way too busy and too immersed in, 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 in uh, FIFA planning and World Cup planning to do much of anything else. But do you have a download for us this week? Uh, no, no. I didn't even watch college football this past weekend. So there's been no uh, TV on or, or streaming uh, this week. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I, just wanted, I just wanted to mention that um, we talk a, a lot of the economic impact that a World Cup will have to the, our region, to the area. But I would like to point out the long lasting memories that an event like the World Cup will leave to our community 
and to every each individual, each person here, because this is an event that uh, it's unique and the memories that you get uh, if you have the chance, the opportunity to go to a game in a World Cup, it's something that you will, a memory that will last for you, you know, the, your, your whole life. So uh, I've, been for, uh, I, I've been very lucky. I, I was uh, uh, at the 1970 World Cup in Mexico City. My dad took me to a game there. Uh, and then 26 years later, I took my dad oh. to a game uh, in the 1986 World Cup. So those are memories that last with you forever. And that's something that uh, we need to talk a little bit more. The, the um, memories that a World Cup will live in our community and on each fan that will be able to go to the game. Abraham, you... You bring up a very good point. Uh, actually, it's it's something that we we don't talk about a lot. And I can tell you that when this opportunity for 2026 came up uh, four or so years ago, uh, when I talked to people about, you know, yes, we want to bring the World Cup here. If 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 they were here in Dallas in 1994, even if they didn't attend uh, a, a match over at Cotton Bowl Stadium, they still have some memory. Uh, and can very vividly tell me where, where they ha- where they were, what their experience was, what the city of Dallas looked like, and how it transformed, and how everybody really uh, uh, bonded together and, and stepped out and uh, really made an impact uh, on on the World Cup. And so you're absolutely right in in saying that uh, we need to talk about that lifelong pres- opportunity. Yep. It's a transforming experience for the city, for the community, and for each and every person, yeah. The greatest thing about working in sports and being able to be around sports is that it lifts our spirits. It, it, it brings people together. You're absolutely right, Abraham. It is transformative. I think the words that you've spoken here today are probably going to end up in some of Monica's uh, materials uh, on the website and in her pitch deck. You absolutely uh, have have hit it on the head. It's the greatest thing about sports is 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 that uh, the way we 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 forge these multi generational memories. Uh, and I have the box score from the first White Sox game I attended in 1965 with my dad and my brother hanging on the wall a few feet away from me. And it's what it's really all about. It's the best thing about sports. So thank you for uh, for joining us. Uh, you know, just as we close, my download probably will not lift your spirits. It's Succession. Norm Hitzkus was our guest in this slot a few weeks ago, and he asked, when is Succession coming back? Well, it came back last week, and that's what, what I have been uh, watching this week. Uh, and, uh, and, but uh, more to come. We look forward next week to recapping Monica's adventures this week with the delegates from, uh, from FIFA. And uh, on behalf of Monica and the Dallas Sports Commission, Thanks to our guests today, uh, Jordan Buholtz, Rick Hart, and Abraham Noodlestayer of Aldea. Uh, really interesting conversation all the way around. Thanks to our showrunner, Tony Fay, the Mike Drop production team. Uh, Chris Amelia in this week, back in the seat for Danielle Whitelaw, who's, who's uh, otherwise uh, occupied. Angela Lang, Marcus Carr, all of Tony Fay PR. Thanks to the guys at Vocal Media. And until next time, thanks for listening, everybody.